Welcome to the Multifamily Artist Podcast. I believe there's a rhythm and art in everything that we do. This is my journey about how I went from being a hip hop dancing engineer to a multifamily real estate investor. If you wanna learn more about how you can start investing in real estate, stay tuned to learn from multifamily real estate investors and hear how they found their rhythm and created their own sound investments. What's up everyone, welcome to the Multifamily Artist Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Koo, and I'm on the journey to go from hip hop dancing engineer turned multifamily real estate investor. And this is the show where I interview multifamily real estate investors, discuss how they found their rhythm, created their own sound investments. But before we dive into today's guest, quick reminder that this show is brought to you by Nightly Productions. If you have a platform, podcast, YouTube channel, you have a website, uh, you want to revamp, or maybe even trying to throw a summit, please reach out to Nightly Productions because they can help you create more content that breaks through the noise and they can help you find out how they can help you stop wasting time and money on content that does not deliver. Now, for today's guest, she has been involved in real estate investing her whole life, but began her personal real estate investing journey in 2003. She's the co-founder of the, the Academy Presents and a managing partner of Lauren Capital. Angel has experience in single-family home rentals, small multifamily home rentals, and passive investing in multifamily syndication deals. Angel graduated from Baylor University in 2000 with a bachelor's in economics and in 2002 with a master's in economics as well. So please give a warm welcome to Angel Williams. Hey, Taylor. It's always so embarrassing when people read all the stuff we've done. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're blushing just a little bit. (laughs) Thank you for coming on to the show. (laughs) I I appreciate I feel like this was long overdue. We've been networking for for a hot second and we've actually had to reschedule this uh, multiple times. Yeah, it has been a minute. Or two or three or four. (laughs) Or four. I think like four. But like good busy though. Like good good reasons why I rescheduled. Not because I didn't want to talk to you. (laughs) But thank you again. I've I've been looking forward to this show. I mean, first off, just um, aside from the quick little intro that I gave, I'd love to give you a chance to let the audience know a little bit more about you and how you got started in real estate. So I actually grew up in a family that was investing in real estate. For those of you that know a little bit of economic history, um, you know, late 70s, early 80s, interest rates were stupid, like 15% plus. Crazy. Stagflation. Lots of things going on. That's so stupid. (laughs) Yeah, no, it was dumb. (laughs) So late 70s, I forget exact dates. um, Paul Volcker was the Fed chair. And it was the first time we ever saw like interest rate changes at the Fed level in like whole percentages. It wasn't this quarter percent nonsense. He was like, no, we're killing the stagflation now. (laughs) So that was when it was really 100% discovered that how do you kill stagflation? You increase interest rates. So if you don't know what stagflation is, it's kind of like what it sounds. You know, it's like that stagnant. It's when prices are going up and you've got productivity and all this other stuff that's just kind of not making a lot of movements. It's just bad. It's all the bad stuff from deflation and all the bad stuff from inflation, like crammed together. And it's just really, really bad. It's, Mm. you know, your unemployment is through the roof. And that's the thing that's crazy is you usually have this at least temporary trade-off between inflation and unemployment. So as inflation goes up, unemployment goes down. Because more money is out there because you need more money to pay the increased process from the inflation, but the loss in value 
at least used to not be as fast to catch up as the, like the loss in the dollar value wasn't as fast to catch up. So more people could be hired, at least in the short term, because more money meant you had more money to hire people. I'm not sure how that's going to work out now because so many things are so much more interconnected. So I believe that loss in the U.S. dollar will be felt faster. So I don't know how much of that trade-off, how long it'll last one or how much it's really going to happen. But I, I don't know, you know, it's just technology and just interconnectedness. And then you've got all this, all these other players out there like China with their digital yuan that's not pegged to the US dollar at all, but they're maintaining also the physical yuan that still sort of is. So it's more like, I guess it's more like a managed float, but a really tight managed float. So instead of like being one for one to the dollar or five to one or whatever their, whatever their exchange rate is, instead of Mm -hmm. pegging it there, they're letting it do a float between two points. So. Hmm. And and with, with yeah, I'm not too familiar with with uh, the k- different currency and and I guess like how they uh, are interconnected, but I also can't imagine too like with crypto being thrown into the game and how that is also affecting our currency as well. Yeah. Trying to have a decentralized currency, so I think that's really fascinating. But that's not what we're talking about in this show. We're not talking about currency. Sorry, <laughs> right? I, just, I got sidetracked. <laughs> no, 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 you're, I'm sorry. no, 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 no. I'm not calling. I'm not calling you out like that. I'm, I'm just like Throwing saying. Shade. Shade. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're good. We're good. We're good. We're good. But so, so I mean, like with your background in economics then and um having like an early start with within real estate i guess like what sort of uh, you know what piqued your interest then with going and like i guess like the transition from like going single family to small multis and then to now you know syndications yeah so and i guess i could like go back to what threw me down the rabbit hole so my grandparents my grandmother only went through eighth grade Mm-hmm. Um, she did eventually get her GED, but Hispanic family, migrant farmers, she made it through eighth grade because she had to go pick cotton with her family every year. Mm. My grandpa came from Virginia. Um, his family was wealth, a little wealthier, but he worked really hard for C's. School was just tough for him. But because of what went on in the late 70s, early 80s, they were able to buy some properties. And so they had some single families and some smaller multi and a small trailer or a small mobile home community, sorry. Um, (laughs) And so that was what I saw. And so that was the norm for me was to see that kind of, you know, that kind of real estate investing. And Mm. then Jason's family did the small residential thing, the small family residential thing. So at last count, his dad had, or his family had over 70 units of residential multifamily. So he comes at it from residential multifamily and I come at it from single, you know, the, the mix that I've got. Right. So let's see. In 03, we bought our first home and like we never even discussed it. We both just knew that was going to be our first rental. And when Jason finished up his doctorate that we did the make ready on it and got the first renter into it in 07. Then we, you know, we come to where we are now and waited just a little bit and then got a couple more homes here. And then we picked up a couple more single families maybe within a year, like within this past year, we've picked up a couple more single families. So right now we've got four single family homes here, a single family back in Lubbock. And then in Waco, we have some quads and I think a quad and a couple of duplexes. And then I'm still working on trying to build something on a land, a piece of land I have back home and (laughs) development is not quick and easy. So anybody that tells you that it is, is lying unless they've got some fancy inside track that I just don't know about. (laughs) But anyway, it was, it's just a super slow roll, you know? Yeah. So from 07 to, well, heck 13, maybe 15, 
So, you know, you're talking eight years. It took us a pretty long stretch of time to build up to five single family homes, right? Right. I know. I guess we were up to three. And then we picked up the quad and the duplexes in a general partnership that was Jason's families or that is Jason's families. Um, And then I got that piece of land. And then we started into multifamily, I think about four years ago, because I mean, we were making it and we were going to get where we wanted to get, but the scalability is just tough. What are the returns like? Well, in our single families, we don't have any of our original money still in those investments. So those are infinite returns. But the thing, even though infinite returns is amazing, we'll never get rid of them. (laughs) But the cash flow issue is a little different. Like we're building equity in those, but there's not a lot of cash flow. And so that's where multifamily comes in and just the scalability of multifamily. And you've got some cash flow, but the real moneymaker is at the turn. And so we have one that is at turn currently and didn't quite do what it was supposed to do. It's um, and, and there were some other things going on with that one. It's not my favorite, but it is what it is. <laughs> and the three other <laughs> ones are doing fine as well. So are doing way better actually. Um, but that's neither here nor they here nor there. But um, those are kind of our, that's what we're in passive is those four. And then we're going active side. Like now we're in the middle of it. <laughs> we're still trying to get that, you know, elusive first deal, but we are super, super close. Um, I, I feel the momentum coming in too. And, and, and it's exciting to watch. And, uh, you know, if you don't mind me asking, and, and you know, we don't have to like, I guess we, we don't have to call anybody out, especially on the passive side, but you know, because because I, I'm not going to lie, like being a passive investor, like everyone shows you these pretty numbers, like, oh, you can get this, you can double your money in five years. And it all sounds promising. But also at the end of the day, too, it really depends on the team that is operating the deal. And so like, I don't, if you don't mind sharing, just open up just like a little bit about just like some of those passive deals. And like, I guess like your experience as a passive investor in some of these syndications, like what has that been like? Well, first, we th- thought we were passive investors before because we have property managers for everything we've got. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, we're passive. Now we had to field a few phone calls when the plumbing bill was over what we had in the repair escrow. Um, so if it was over 300, if it's under 300, we're like, don't even talk to us, just do it. Um, <laughs> if it's over 300, then we get a phone call. If it's something the insurance has to be called in on again, we have to make that phone call. But we just, just we thought that was passive. And then we got into passive multifamily and we were like, we just get a deposit. It was like what we thought was mailbox money before wasn't, it was more like self-checkout. <laughs> Whereas, That's a good analogy. Like, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. I got you saying. <laughs> Whereas like passive investing in multifamily is literally like passive. Like it is serious, like mailbox money if they were still mailing checks. But now it's like, not even that is like, you don't even have to go deposit it. You do like an ACH and it just like shows up in your checking account. And you're like, Oh, that's cool. (laughs) And it's like, I had no clue that there was that kind of a spectrum on passive investing. Right. And, and was it, I mean, with, with past, so it was like having, uh, and being a little bit more involved on like the, the smaller multifamily deals and uh, managing that and getting your paychecks and then all, but then like switching over to like really, really passive to these syndication deals. Like, was it a little bit difficult to like break that barrier of trust? Cause now it's just like your deposit is in the hands of somebody else. Like was, was it, I guess like scary. Cause I, I don't know, like, I feel like for people out there, including myself, like sometimes it is a little daunting. Like if you don't have a grasp on 
the operations and what's actually going on. But in but sometimes that might be the best idea is to leave it to the professionals to do it. So our well, maybe not my husband's, maybe he maybe he wasn't as ignorant as I was, but my ignorance was my bliss. I had no clue. I mean, yeah. like I was picking people to like talk to and build relationships with based on my gut feel. Hmm. And and I think that, that was kind of one of the issues with one of the passive investments we're in. My inner compass might have been off a little bit. I don't know. It's still weird. Like I still don't, I don't know 100% how to feel, but it's just, it's not. And it could just be because of where this team learned how to do multifamily transactions because mm. every program, every mentor does it a little bit different. And um, I think, you know, who we're with, but we just kind of got used to that and we're in a deal with him and we're in a deal with another mentee of our mentor. Okay. Yeah. And so those two deals are, they're very similar. Um, they're not the same, but they're very, very similar. And in, in kind of the process, right? And then we're in another one where I just like the operating team <laughs> and they are amazing communicators. They're just, even this summer when, or I guess this past summer in the middle of the pandemic, when um, they couldn't do a distribution, there was so much, so much just communication and emails and they weren't eventually able to catch back up to it. So it wasn't even a huge deal, but they were big time communicators. And, you know, it was, I think we got kind of lucky because, you know, if you look at it that way, we were 75% on the up and up and 25%. It's not that it's down, but when you've got three that are doing so well, it's hard to be okay with one that's not. That's just going okay. That's just doing a little decent. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But, you know, I I think there is, you know, and I know people like really try and break down like this whole like, calculation and, and strategies behind f- trying to find the best general partners. But at the end of the day, like taking, taking to your point, like there really just has to be that gut feel too. Cause I mean, I feel like us as humans, uh, we do make decisions based on emotions and that is what makes us human instead of just the, the numbers and the calculations that come behind it. Like at the end of the day, we are humans and humans are operating the business plan. And it's really based on that gut instinct too, that I, f- I feel like not, that people should listen to instead of just, you know, <laughs> listening to like all these pretty numbers and having the, that shiny object syndrome. Yeah. So no, absolutely. And I mean, even if you go strictly numbers, the numbers don't always play out. Who would, who would have ever thought that the last two years or the last year and a half would have been the, the way it was. Nobody it's, it's never been seen before. Right. So nobody could have prepared for that or done the numbers to cover for something like that or had, you know, a year and a half of reserves built up just in case. No, nobody could have prepared for that. Right. Um, I believe that some of the operating teams did a much better job of rolling with the punches. Um, and, you know, some, I, th- I believe that there are passive investments out there that may surpass what their original projections were. I'm sure there's plenty of them will, especially if they come from truly experienced operators. But some of the people that have been kind of operating mostly in this golden era of everybody did good. (laughs) I think some of those guys are going to have a harder time rolling with the punches on the last year and a half, two years and, and really continuing to do well, because I'm not sure that everybody was paying attention to what was going on. I think there was a lot of freak out moments. And so that kind of clouds how people, when you're, when you're freaking out, your adrenaline's going crazy and you lose some clarity. 
And so, I mean, I'm hoping people like learned a lot about what was going on, but so much of it was just new and just, I don't know. I, I don't even know what we really learned because we didn't face a lot of the problems in our personal stuff that was happening in multifamily or in other areas. Which I feel like is almost like a learning lesson in itself. If you didn't, if you didn't, well, not that you didn't learn anything, but if nothing was really happening too much in like the, in the, in the personal life, like I guess those investments are doing pretty good. So you don't have to, <laughs> didn't have to worry about you know some of those other problems. And I mean, in our personal stuff here where we are, like we could still evict, we can still evict. It just can't be for non-payment and people have been, evict- have been evicting throughout this whole ordeal. So when we hear people from other states say, oh, you can't evict for anything. I'm like, I'm pretty sure you can evict for lease violations, but they said some of the judges in some places won't hear eviction at all. Mm. And it just kind of blows my mind and makes me happy that I'm in Texas, not because I want to evict people, but <laughs> because it's, I feel like here in Texas, or at least in many parts of Texas, less owners are being taken advantage of. Mm. So. But. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's hard. Cause like, you know, being over here in California, right. Like it's, it's, it's a very sensitive subject, especially when it comes to evictions, because it's just like, oh, now you're taking away their place to live. But then also you have these landlords that are now just having to cover it. And, and, I, and I think there's like this common misconception where everyone thinks that these landlords are just slum slumlords collecting just paychecks day after day after day. And, you know, I feel like there's two sides to each coin where it's like they really don't want to evict people. Um but also at the same time, it's just like, how do you even keep this whole business operational and still be able to provide a nice place for people suitable. to live? Yeah, yeah a suitable no, place for people to live. Yeah. So it's a it, it's putting that human face with the owner because I think that a lot of people believe that the people that own apartments or the people that own rental properties in general are these super wealthy people that just have money to burn. And they don't understand that really it's groups of, you know, a hundred-ish people, just like you and I, that we come together, we pull our money together and we buy apartment complexes. But we're not these crazy wealthy people with like billion dollar net worth, you know, million dollar net worth. We're we're not these huge mega wealthy people. Yeah. We're just average people who have decided to come together as a group to purchase things that are mutually beneficial to not just the owner side of it, but to the resident side of it as well, because what we want to do is create the best environment we can at your, at your price point. You know, we're, we're going to, we're going to provide the best living conditions that we can, whether it's a class C, a class B, a class A, and that's our goal. That's our fiduciary responsibility, right? Mm -hmm. To both our investors. And we have to keep the residents happy, comfortable, and just proud of where they are. Or you're going to have massive amounts of turnover and nobody wants to always have to start with a fresh pool. Yeah, no, not, not at all. Like people really have experiences when it, when it does come to real estate and, and renting. And actually, you know, this, this is a nice little trend. I don't know why I'm calling out. This is a nice transition, but like. (laughs) You're used to music and this is the bridge. (laughs) I know this is is my bridge. Yeah, Yeah. But from what it was before and then to what it is now, and especially with, with you having children, I feel like a lot of people are going to be renting for a, a, a very, very, very long 
period of time. And even so, like, I know that there's this conversation where people are even talking about the American dream changing, where now not a lot of millennials, at least my age, younger, one can't um, afford a home. And it's just because they they're in student debt and they're they're in debt in a lot of different places and they can't get these high paying jobs to pay off for it or on the contrary they don't want to own a home after seeing like what happened in 2008 you know seeing what their parents went through and so you know i'd love to just get your take on this then like do you you know with you being a parent right like what is what is your take so i guess i can kind of pull on my college instructor stuff too because um one of the things that I've seen also is, and I've been teaching online since fully online since 0708. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my students are military, but then I have these other students that like the freedom of learning in an online environment because their location doesn't matter. And so I think that a lot of people will say in their late twenties to mid thirties, maybe even early forties want to have more fluidity in where they're having to live. And whether that's traveling with a small family or just traveling alone, they want that ability. And so I think that's another reason why we're seeing less homeownership in that age group. And maybe there's data out there that says that's not true. I'm sure there is data because there's data out there that proves every point anybody ever has ever. But (laughs) just what I'm seeing is that there are more people that want to have freedom of where they want to live. And they want to have freedom in the period of time that they want to live there. I think there's a lot of movement and that desire for flexible living arrangements as well. And right. I think that's dictating a lot of it. And homes in desirable areas are just getting really, really expensive. So what you what your parents might have been able to get for $150,000 is now $450,000 or more in one of those more desirable places to live. So, or even twice that higher, you know, 450, so up to, you know, 900,000, you know, 1.2 million and somewhere like DFW or Austin, or maybe even, you know, anywhere up North because the houses up North are way more expensive than what I see here in the South. So it's, um, there's, there's just a lot of things that are playing into that, that are, people are just making different decisions because of what's important to them. And there's also that movement of, you know, less is more, we want to have experiences, not things. And so many variables. Yeah. There's, there's a, there's a lot of different moving variables, like, you know, online school, and then also like working from home as well. Like where now people can work really anywhere they want and they don't have to live in these high expensive areas. And I think businesses are actually like following them as well in, in creating these like urbanized suburbs um, where it is a little bit more less expensive than inside those metropolitan areas. Um, and I think I saw some statistics even somewhere. I can't even pinpoint it. Uh, maybe it was like a, a part. I don't, I'm not even going to name it just because I don't want to get uh, shafted for for giving a misquote. But even even, even like millennial homeowners, there's a huge chunk of them that are regretting owning homes just because they don't have that mobility. And then also it is... Uh, responsibility and accountability. And it's almost like another job just to make sure that you're maintaining that job. But interestingly enough, though, I'm curious, like as a parent then, because at least, you know, for like my parents, I feel like pretty common is like, you know what, buy a home, sit on it, because it might be a little bit better to rent because now you're just at least like paying yourself back, even if, 
you know, you're not really making anything instead of renting it and having that rent go to go to somewhere else. So like, I guess like in, in your experience and as you go through this, like, would, what would you recommend? Like, what's your take on that? Would you, do you think they should start off with the home right, right from the get go or should they <laughs> invest passively while it's still rents? It's a big question. It just, it, it depends on what your, what your goal is and your goal can change. Mm. Number one, you're going to pay a premium for renting. You just are. Yeah. Because someone else is taking all the risk, right? So you're going to pay a premium for renting. But if your goal is to not have to worry about where you live and spend that time worrying about other things, then renting makes sense. I I think that there is also going to be a movement toward the house hack, whether that's the duplex or the quad, or even, you know, you live upstairs and rent the downstairs, or you live in the basement and rent the whole house. There's lots of different ways to house hack even renting by the bedroom. I mean, there's all these different ways to do it. And so I think there's going to be a lot of movement to that as well. Mm-hmm. And single family homes are just becoming more expensive. We own our home right. probably because that's what our families did. So that's what we were taught made sense. But like, had we known about house hacking and we really probably should have with Jason's family, having so much experience in the residential multifamily world, yeah. but it wasn't even a thought. But had we really known about it, we would have gotten a quad or a duplex there in Lubbock and we would have lived in one side and rented the other or lived in one and rented the other three because that mitigates that vacancy risk. It It's just a smart move. Um, yeah. And you can use residential financing. So it's like win, 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 win. Lots, lots of wins. <laughs> so it's it, I think it's a super smart move. But again, it may not be the best move for everyone. It, it won't be the best move for everyone. But like we would have probably gone that route. And I think that that's kind of what we're seeing too, especially in like some of these zero lot scenarios where people like when you buy like these zero lot communities, it's like buying a little suburb because it's all these little houses. They're super close together. There's not a lot of yard. Um, That's why they're called zero (laughs) lots. (laughs) And they're like butted up next to each other. So they're kind of like apartments, but they're homes. They might have a few inches in between them. I don't, that's exaggeration, um, but, <laughs> but they're super close together. Right. Right. And so I think we may see more of a movement towards that. And I actually heard someone talk about the zero lot kind of townhome becoming the new starter home hmm. because it's more affordable. It's still a decent size and it doesn't have all of the same responsibilities and requirements of owning more of a single family standalone on a big lot. Got it. So there's, there's that movement too. I don't know. There's so many, so many things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and like, even, so one thing the pandemic did that I think was for a move in the positive was the movement towards online education, even for small children. So we're looking at some options for our own daughters. And one of them is a, it's a private school setup and it's face-to-face, but if you need to travel, you can do online for the weeks that you're going to be gone. And so, yeah, it's got the face-to-face piece, but if you want, if you need to go somewhere in the middle of that, then the child just moves to online while you have to be somewhere. And so it allows for the flexibility and education where your child can go with you if you're on a business trip or you're on a trip to see family out of town. If there's an emergency that traveling has to be a part of, there is a flexibility there that wasn't there before. So there's less decision-making on the part of the schooling. Mm-hmm. And I think that more schools are going to go to online academies, even in the public school setting as well. It just makes sense. And 
if if schools, if especially if the public school system doesn't keep up with where that online educational opportunity is going, they're going to lose out on funding from, you know, from the government side of things because they get their money by attendance on the daily. So if not as many students are going to the public schools, the public schools are going to lose money. And so in an effort to keep up with that and keep some attendance, they're going to have to be able and have the ability to move into that online environment like many of the private schools are doing. So mm. there's kind of that move too. And, and that's going to take away some of the reasons why a small family would look at getting a home in a specific area, right? Mm. Because you get a home, sometimes you get a home in a specific area because you want a certain school district. Well, if there's flexibility in that, then it'll make more sense to maybe have an apartment address that gets you in the into that district without having to have a big single family home, you know, a 322 or a 422 or even larger, right? That you're just tied to for a, a really, really long time. Well, for 12 to 14 years while your kids are in school, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I guess relatively too. 12 to 14 years isn't like that long, but it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a little bit of time. I mean, with education then, and I know that you have an education is a huge emphasis on starting Real Estate Investing Rocks, the Academy Presents. I'd love to just hear the, the story behind uh, how you're implementing education into Real Estate Investing Rocks. Because it, it definitely has that little school, what is yes. it? School of Rock taste to it. Yeah. Um, so I was in the K-12 teaching environment until February of 2020, mm-hmm. the beginning of February, 2020. And honestly, I didn't leave on the best terms. It oh, was pretty sad for me because I, I miss my kids. And yes, they are my kids. No, they're not biologically mine. No, they're not legally mine, but they were mine for a set number of hours each day. Right. right. And so you, you come to love those kids and you come to love your students and they make a big impact in your life. And so I, after leaving that, I still had this teacher heart that needed to be filled. Right. And that's what the Academy Presents allows me to do. It allows me to share information and to give that information to anyone that wants to hear it. And that is fulfillment for me. And that fills my teacher heart. And so that was how it got started. That's why it got started. And that's why it'll continue. And now we're expanding it so that uh, my husband can get some fulfillment too. Cause I didn't understand. He's like, well, I'm just, I'm, I don't feel fulfilled. And I'm like, what do you mean you don't fulfill? My heart is like overflowing. This is the most amazing thing ever. I get to meet people on podcasts. I get to meet people at summits. Like all this amazingness is going on for me. And he's like, yeah, no, not for me. And I didn't get it. Hmm. And so when he started doing some underwriting for people, which I think is just like nauseating, um, (laughs) it's like all of a sudden he's getting fulfilled because he loves sitting in those Excel sheets with all those numbers and, and coding macros and running things and sensitivities <laughs> and all this stuff. And I'm just oh, like, Ugh. and that makes him so happy. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, I mean, that's the big push for going active side this year is that that's where he finds his fulfillment. And so we're a team. And so I support him in that move. It's, I prefer the mailbox money, but he wants to go active side and I'm going to support him in that move. And so we're going to make it together. But um, it was, it was that need for fulfillment. Yeah. And, and I think what's really cool is that you two balance each other out. Like you have him who's very analytical and likes to do the calculations and likes to 
do all these different types of analysis when it comes to like, analyzing properties. <laughs> Whereas like you, you're the, you're the one that's just out there connecting, networking um, and building those connections. And then I think too, like even when it comes to the Academy Presents, like you can cater to a lot of different people uh, that want to be on the analytical side or be a little bit more on the vocal and marketing side of just like reaching out to different people, which I, which I think is like very, very, very cool. And that, you know, do you see a bigger, like a pretty big difference when it comes to like teaching kids versus like adults? Now I know like it's different subjects here, but I'm sure there's like certain fundamentals, like, especially even though, like, I don't know, when it comes to <laughs> teaching about real estate. Okay. So a long, long time ago. <laughs> so I first, I got my first teaching gig in 0304, teaching at a private school, little private, little private Catholic school in Slayton, Texas. And that was where I discovered that I was meant to be a teacher. And then a music teacher was needed in La Mesa the following year. I didn't even like, uh, I didn't even turn in an application. And they called me and asked me to interview for the position. And so that was how I became a teacher in La Mesa. Um, but in the summer of 04 is when I started teaching college. So I was 26. I was the youngest person in the classroom, very non-traditional campus. So I'm teaching K through five music. Okay. All day long. Wow. <laughs> and then I'm teaching college econ from 6 to 10 p.m. Two nights. Was it two nights a week or four nights a week? I forget. I think it was two nights a week. Maybe four. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Can I just say you have the patience, like with K through five music, like the amount of like, I guess, like not that they're bad music, but the fact that like a bunch of kids just can't, don't know how to play instruments at that time. A lot of patience. Anyway, sorry. Well, it's, <laughs> but honestly, it's not because it was a fun class. So since it was a, and we had a super, we had super supportive administrators. So the principals, the assistants, they were super supportive. And so it was actually probably the most amazing and fun job I've ever had. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. It was so much fun. I mean, like just amazingly fun. And so I would do that all day and then I would teach econ at night. And something I realized very early on was while the, the voices were higher, the tones very, very similar. The whining, the excuses, the being upset, the being in a good mood. Those were the same. Word choice was different, but the overall pattern was the same. I thought it was just crazy, but being upset, whining, making excuses. Those were the same regardless of age. They sounded the same. It was just different words. And so that was, it it wasn't that big of a switch. The neediness can be a little different um, because, of course, kids are going to be a little bit more needy than adults sometimes. <laughs> Not sometimes, <all> sometimes. sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it wasn't this huge switch from little kids to adults, mm. as much as people would think. <laughs> no, that's yeah, that's 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 really fascinating because I would think that you know with, but but I guess like even even then in my own journey too, it's it like learning dance. And then there's just always the same process that people go through and there's going to be the same different types of same different types of complaints. And it's going to feel extremely uncomfortable. And so you just start to find a rhythm and, and start to get a little bit more comfortable with what you're learning. So no, that's, that's actually really fascinating. And then, so, so now then with the, the Academy presents and with y'all trying to go active, like what's the, main focus like what what does the future look like for y'all and what are you focusing on now well um my role has really been establishing relationships right right and the thing i've discovered over the past couple of years is that 
there's basically two different ways to kind of get going, right? There's full on marketing and, you know, you are, you know, whether it's mailing stuff out or having your group or marketing on your social platforms, whatever it is, you can market the dog out of things and absolutely pick up leads and pick up business that way, pick up deals, pick up followers, pick up people, or you can go more of a networking way, right? Just meeting people, establishing relationships, just going to events. So I feel like it's two different approaches. And I went the, you know, talking to people, going to events, networking direction, because I mean, I, I like to talk. Um, <laughs> that's kind of my thing. Um, oh, and, so, yeah. and while we do the summit, and so that yeah. was the direction I chose. And it's a lot slower than doing the marketing stuff. But I also feel very secure in the relationships that I've built. And I feel like those are very strong and that I can call on many of those people that I've met over the years at events or through podcasting or through summits and get advice and get help and get guidance when I need it. And I'm sure people that have marketed the dog out of things, they, they have all that too. But I feel really good about the way I went just because it's it's very me and it's 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 just allowed for me to feel really secure in what has been built. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing, coming to this show and enlightening us with your your knowledge and perspective and insights. And if people want to get a, a hold of you, how can they get a hold of you? So you can go to our website. It is www.theacademypresents.com. You can get a hold of us there, join the membership there, um, get access to you know, everything we do, the podcast, the summit, the boot camp, the workshop, everything is there. You can do it that way, or you can just shoot me an email. I am angel, A-N-G-E-L at laurencapital.com. It's L-O-R-R-E-N-C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. And that's how you can get a hold of me. If you want to get a hold of my husband, maybe you need some underwriting assistance with his second set of eyes, which is actually what his company is called. He's Jason at Lauren Capital. So J-A-S-O-N at L-O-R-R-E-N-C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. And you can get a hold of him there. And so that's kind of the ways that you can get a hold of us. Yeah. And they um, definitely reach out. And they also have a, a meetup too on Mondays at 11 a.m. CST. So if you want to meet them there too, it's free. You can get a lot of value from that meetup. The Marvelous meetup marvelous marvelous Mondays. marvelous monday meetups definitely check it out and stay tuned and for a couple of days because now we're going to go into the action items episode and see how someone that is new can just start can get started and, and get going so thank you so much angel i appreciate your time and i'll see everybody next time Thanks for listening to the Multifamily Artist Podcast. If you got any value out of this episode, I'd greatly appreciate if you head over to iTunes, leave a rating and review the show, which will help more people receive that same value. If you're looking to connect and talk more about multifamily real estate, you can reach me at inrhythmmultifamily.com. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.